Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. That is the beauty of psychology. I love my field. I love my practice. Because it really does, I think, give people an opportunity to be liberated from untrue things about themselves and untrue stories about themselves and can be informed by theory, fact, and what we now understand around the psychology, the neurobiology of human beings and how we work. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California? and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Lady, today we have an extraordinary guest joining us. Someone whose work is at the intersection of education and psychology has been nothing short of transformative. Psychologist, advocate, and educator Dr. Wendy Williams has dedicated two incredible decades to unraveling the intricacies of the inner lives of Black women and young girls. Her deep knowledge and expertise in this area have paved the way for culturally responsive educational and psychological interventions that are changing lives. Dr. Williams also develops and implements educational wellness and leadership intervention programs with individuals, groups, and organizations. Her latest book, Black Women at Work on Refusal and Recovery, makes the compelling connection between Black women and workplaces today and the long legacy of Black labor exploitation. Woo chow. You can follow Dr. Williams' work on her website at drwendywilliams.com. That's Wendy with an I. And you can tune into her podcast called She Been Ready. <laughs> Dr. Wendy Williams, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you both. Yay. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yes, we are looking forward to this conversation. And so I will start us with the quote of the day. Dr. Wendy, this quote will sound really familiar to you because we have been checking out your social media. We've been looking at excerpts from your book. And this quote is your words. Hmm. We are so much more than the limited stereotypes caricatures projected about us and sometimes absorbed by us. Oh, Dr. Wendy, hmm. <laughs> when you hear those words, your words, yeah. and think about our conversation that we're going to have today, what comes up for you? Thank you for engaging my work <laughs> and my words. I do appreciate that. The, what comes up for me is that we identify, over-identify with work, and that for Black people and Black women, that is, that's something that we do in a capitalist society, but for us, it wasn't necessarily our choice from the very beginnings for that to be our identification. And so the idea that we absorb that and take on the mantle of the oppressor in our own lives, it breaks my heart, actually, to hear you read that. Yeah. That is so powerful. And Dom, um, yeah. I'm sure you're like me and you have so many questions and things that are going on in your yes. mind right now. We just want to dive in, but we're going to start from the beginning, like good interviewers. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Wendy, if you can tell us, what is your origin story? How did you become the Dr. Wendy Williams we see today? <laughs> the question is so reflective and I really appreciated the opportunity to think about that. I'm the middle mm -hmm. of five children. I grew up in Southern California and okay. I grew up in a blended family. And my family was blended. My mother and my stepfather had an opportunity to meet one another because the crack epidemic took my father from our lives and my siblings, their mother from their lives. And so I've always wanted to understand that. And not just that from our own family's perspective, but also our community. I grew up in Southern California in the 80s and the 90s. So the crack epidemic was huge. The gang, bloods and crypt. Like I grew up inside of with those being different, those being the types of pressures that are around our environment, those were the types of things that made our environment unsafe. And so I wanted to understand the Black community. I wanted to understand why we were in this predicament and to make sense of it. And I think that ultimately inspired me to want to study psychology. I know that it did. I am a, the kind of person who, if I can understand it, then I can make peace with it, but I need to understand as a kid, I didn't realize that was my thing, but that is my thing. If I can make some sense of it, then okay. I don't like it, but it's fine. And I think as a young child, that really spurred my interest in psychology. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I already know this conversation. There are so many other questions that I had. And I'm like, let's wait. We got to stick to our script. We got to stick mm -hmm. to our interview question. But Dr. Wendy, for those who are listening... Mm -hmm. And they are not as familiar with what it means to be a psychologist. Right. Can you share a little more about That's... the work that you're doing? And you mm -hmm. talk about the intersectionality of education and psychology mm -hmm. and making it accessible for mm -hmm. everyday people. Mm -hmm. And so can you speak a little bit more about that? What does that really look like? Yeah. So I, tell that origin story because it's it's not un 
like other people. Other people have these real life issues and challenges. Don't get me wrong. I had a lovely childhood and growing up and all the things. And I'm glad that my mother and my stepfather found each other and and all of that. But there's pain to get to that joy, right? Joy and pain, sunshine and rain. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking raw (laughs) base. But seriously, so once I had an understanding of that, I, I am the person in my family who explains things to us about stuff, mm-hmm. like explains why folks aren't getting back. Like I can explain things. And and so that feels really important to me. Everyone's not going to go into university. I do work within university. I've been a college professor. I didn't take the route in psychology, though I'm a counseling psychologist. I didn't go the route of practice where I would see clients in, ther- in therapy outside of my training. So I didn't do that. But I've always been a teacher. I am a teacher at heart. And one of the things that feels really important to me is to make what I know accessible. Our community needs it. It goes back to that, what I said about that origin story, that we need to understand why it's happening so that we don't take unnecessary blame for systemic and structural impacts on our psychology and our psyche, that we understand that from the very start, that we were we were stamped with a certain experience that has trauma laced all through and around it and our reactions and our behaviors are not of an immoral people, they're of a traumatized people. And so that is, it's always been really important for me to enter that work in that way. And I see that as the beauty of psychology. I love my field. I love my practice because it really does, I think, give people an opportunity to be liberated from untrue things about themselves and untrue stories about themselves and can be informed by theory, fact, and what we now understand around the psychology, the neurobiology of human beings and how we work begins to just make all the sense in the world that you see some of the issues that we see in our society based on the experiences that we've had and the major chemistry project that we are as human beings. We're just a bunch of (laughs) neurotransmitters and whatnot after all. Hey lady, it's Terry here. Dom and I want to take a moment to thank you for choosing to listen to our podcast. We love you for real and we want to give you a chance to learn more about what's important to us. So tell us what you think about this. Imagine a world where you have a chance to get featured on the Cultivating Her Space podcast and share your business, brand, or perspective with millions around the globe. Imagine joining our monthly virtual video check-ins where you can connect with like-minded Black women like you and share your ideas and episode suggestions with Terry and I. Now I want you to imagine a world where you're in the exclusive Cultivating Her Space Sanctuary Slack channel, and throughout your day and week, you are conversing with us about what's happening in your life and sharing funny gifts and your personal wins. How does that sound? Hopefully this is up your alley, lady, because we are taking things to the next level this year and we're doubling down on investing in our community. That means you. Yay! We want to meet you, connect with you, and create communities of genuine women who love on Black women and push our culture and movement forward. We launched this podcast in 2019, and to date, we have not missed a week. We've been great stewards of our platform, all while working full-time and navigating our own ups and downs. We release fresh new content every single Friday, like clockwork, and we have hundreds of valuable episodes and workshops that can really help you up-level your life. So if you love our mission or you've gotten value from us, we invite you to give back and help us push this community effort forward. Visit herspacepodcast.com and click Patreon. You can learn more about our goals and exclusive offerings on Patreon. And we highly, 
highly encourage you to join the Sister Frontier so that you can get some one-on-one time with us. We also have an option for you to donate on a one-time basis if that meets your needs. Again, herspacepodcast.com and you can click that link that says Patreon. All right, lady. We'll hop right back into the conversation. So powerful. Dr. Wendy, I feel like I already have a question that I'm going to dig into in my own personal reflection based off of something you said earlier about the connection between Black exploitation and our relationship with work. And I was telling Don before we started, I actually have some work for my full-time job that I want to do after this. And I, I, when I think about my experience with work mm-hmm. in general, I've pretty much always been a workaholic and mm-hmm. I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so I'm thinking about these things and I'm like, okay, I need to reflect on that later. But my question for you is, what has been the most profound realization mm-hmm. that you've had when connecting the dots of your past? And I'm thinking about what you shared about your family and the environment mm-hmm. you grew up in. Is there anything in particular that stands out to you when it comes to the profound realization or something that you just realized by way of the knowledge that you have now and mm-hmm. then connecting the dots to that, those experiences you've had? That's a big question. I come from a long line of women who are like me who didn't have the opportunities that I had. And I always wonder, what would my grandmother, what would my mother, my aunties, what would they have done if if they would have had access to the education that I Now, the access to the education that I had came alongside a, just listening to another podcast conversation today, an exploitive student loan system. So there's that part too. Okay. I'm not going to open up all the things, but so, but yes. So they were able to bypass that part. There's just my grandmother's brilliant woman, a wonderful leader of our family. And she comes from that line. That line of women is like that. I'm just, I'm that. And so I just wonder what they would have done differently. My aunt has always said that she wanted to be a career woman and whatnot. And, but she ended up being a mom of three and she's a wonderful grandmother and all the rest. And I just wonder what that would have been. So the profound realization for me is like all the lost potential of all of our people and what they might have otherwise had done had they not had the very narrow band of opportunity or possibility that sexism and racism placed on their brilliance. Okay. Thank you. Wow. When we think about the women, the Black women that we know who are in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. Or who are doing, who are involved in labor of any kind, right? Mm-hmm. So not just necessarily corporate America, but having to work for someone outside of ourselves. We're often expected, particularly Black women, we are often expected to engage in cold switching. Hmm. All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, 
Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black Stories, Black Truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the Rich Black Auntie. It was good. Now, you know, Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. How can Black women resist that and still be professional? And, and what does professionalism really look like today? I really love that question. I hate that question too, because I think (laughs) underneath it, there's this assumption, this sort of the reality that we as Black women, I think that we grapple with rather, that just being who we are is deemed unprofessional. I noticed that like the two of you have very beautiful braided hair. I love, I plan to get my hair braided too. That's why I'm growing it. And so you know how long it took for us to even be able to wear our hair and the hairstyles that are protective and mm-hmm. not just protective, but beautiful. Yes. I remember in the 80s and the 90s when that was like a huge thing and people were being fired because they wore braids to work or wore a natural. So Afro, I think that there's an underlying sense of what does it mean to be professional? And if I can back out of that 
a little bit to say, what does it mean to, how have Black women sat inside of the idea of what is ideal femininity? Yeah, because I think that professional is basically, what does it mean to be uh, respectable and legitimate in the public sphere? Because that's where the professional activities happen in, in the workplace or in school. What are the right ways of being? And so I think about the work that came out of as we came up out of slavery and Jim Crow and in our, in this society, a lot of the ways in which we protected ourselves were through engaging respectability politics. We were trying to show that we were respectable women so that we were not rapable and that I'm <laughs> that we were not that we were that our safety was legitimate, that our families, that our children, that our babies deserve to be safe, that our husbands or our partners, if no matter the relationship status or type of relationship we had, And all of that, so there's this notion of the cult of true womanhood. And for Black women, we weren't allowed to be included in that. That was a very particular thing. It was purity, cleanliness, religious obedience, and it had an assumed whiteness attached to it. And so I feel like when we're in the workplace, when we're being seen as being unprofessional or not caring, carrying ourselves in a particular way, it's because we're not carrying ourselves in a way where we're mimicking white women in the workplace. And I think that it's really not just white women, but it's what white patriarchy would deem is acceptable for women in that space, which tends to be premised on a white woman. So I think that that's the conversation around what's professional, what the clothes that you wear, the this and the that, the hairstyles. Now we know that there's the Crown Act and a lot of this is the pushing back and up and against. But underneath all of it, I think, is inherently like very anti-Black anti-Black feminist perspectives of what it means just to be your actual self and your authentic self and how you show up. So when we're code switching, we're really just trying to mimic what we believe like a larger, and I talk about whiteness, not white people, but what Mm -hmm. whiteness and white patriarchy, so larger systems and structures would tell us are the right ways to behave and to be and to mimic or imitate. But it is an imitation. Now, obviously, there are shared cultural perspectives and values, so some of us get on with that. But the reality is that we are such a diverse, all of us, all shades and backgrounds and and racial and cultural, we're so diverse. So the idea that we're trying to mimic this very narrow range of actualization is set in the UK, in in Great Britain, in in their, their parliament, how everybody wears one of those wigs that the men used to wear historically women black people and it's that is it's like a type of this is the routine this is the the uniform right when we talk about professionalism we're not really talking about what are the dispositions and the attributes that you need to have to do that job or that profession that's professionalism everything else is other people's preferences about how i or you or any of us show up wow that is so yeah. powerful and so deep. And it makes me think about how we have that internalized, like we internalize that. Because I think about even my own experience when I was going mm-hmm. for my one of my job interviews years ago and I wanted to wear my Afro puff. And I was like, is an Afro puff? Is that professional? Can I wear my natural hair? The way that God created my oh, hair to grow out, out of my scalp. Is that natural? Out of your scalp. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. This is good. We're going to get back yeah. to this conversation. Okay. But we got to shift up the energy just a little bit, Dr. Wendy. Yeah. So... Because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be bougie mm-hmm. and classy and ratchet. <laughs> all of and it. You can st- all of it, right? And you can still <laughs> be elegant and dance to strip club music if you so choose. 
We want to invite you to the OU Blatchett segment. Do you okay. take on the challenge? Absolutely. I'm yes. so ready. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Dr. Wendy, we have three questions for you. Okay. We have three sentence completions, and then we have three photos pulled up of you that we found <laughs> online. <laughs> okay. And so we want you to choose a number out of one and three, and we'll reveal one of those photos on the big screen. And we want you to share with us some context about the photo mm-hmm. that we would not know just by looking at the photo. Okay. So we're going to start with the questions and we're going to ease into this segment. So yeah. the first question for you is what's the best piece of wisdom or advice you've ever received? Mm, to keep the main thing. Oh, that's so good. Is that Stephen Covey? What does that mean to you when you say keep the main thing? That I, there was a woman, I was looking for mentorship when I first started in my professional roles and it was a black woman, also a counseling psychologist. So I asked her, I was young, I needed, please help me know what to do here. And she said, Wendy, just keep the main thing. And what she basically meant by that was that you have a lot of different ideas, a lot of things that you're passionate about and you're interested in, but what's the focus? And Mm. don't get so, it's okay to be ambitious for sure, but have a sense of direction and a sense of focus on what you're trying to do and what you want to do so that you can actually achieve it. Keep the main thing. And I always inherited and in, in, internalized that also to mean I'm the main thing. <laughs> I was yes. out yes. there in the world far from home and I needed to make sure that I was taking care of myself, that I'm my mama's main thing. Like I need to take care of myself and make sure that yes. I'm resting, hydrated, moisturized, fed, eating healthfully, having joy with people, loved ones, all the things. And so just not forgetting that. We can forget ourselves pretty easily if we're not there. That is good. Thank you. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) So when you are in the practice of reminding yourself that you are the main thing, Uh right? Well, for you, what's sometimes for me, that can involve a little dancing. Okay. Okay. So the next <laughs> question is, Dr. Wendy. Yes, ma'am. Are you going to twerk or two-step? Yeah, I am both. So okay. what you need yes. to know about me is that this week and I actually get to go see the final stop on the Renaissance tour and we will be twerking oh, up in there. Yeah, I know that's right. It's going to be yeah. so much fun. I'm so, so excited. Exciting. But sometimes you're at the retirement party you need to do stuff because that will let people know that you're here and you're festive with them <laughs> and yeah. and they can't handle all the stuff that you got. Exactly. So right. you just okay. know your yeah. audience. That's a little code switching. I, I can understand it and appreciate it. Know your <laughs> yes. audience. I love it. Yes, yeah, so we're going to do both. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. Wendy, what's the sexiest item you own? What I will say is my skin. That's right. I love being a Black woman. And I feel Mm -hmm. so, I just, mm, I know that for some people, the verdict is out. The verdict is not out with me. This is the best thing. I love when I am just in my fullness, in a beautiful dress or bikini or whatever we're doing. And like all that brown is out there. That's, that is it. That is it. That is the best answer. I love it. Mic drop. That is a great way to end the segment. (laughs) And we're going to jump right into our sentence completions. I'm going to pass over to Dom for this. Yes. All right. So our first sentence completion. One question or topic I wish people asked me about more often is... Being an auntie. (laughs) 
Oh, yay. I don't have any children of my own. I don't know if y'all do, but my sister's children are my children. My brother's son is my son. And I think that there's something so powerful and wonderful about being the like bonus adult in children's lives that parents can trust, love them like 100% and that they know love them, that they have an option. Because sometimes, especially as my kiddos are getting older, becoming teenagers and whatnot, they need other places to test out some ideas, some questions, act out a little bit and get called, pulled into check. I do that too. But also, but just have extra, that extra attention, extra love. Kids need so much attention and especially right now, positive attention. And so I really, it's one of my favorite things, one of the favorite identities that I have. That is so special. I was going to say, I have a two-year-old, but Dom is the stellar auntie. So Dom Mm -hmm. has nieces and nephews and she's like the rich auntie that everyone's like, oh, she's the cool auntie. Yes. Yes. Y'all are the the rich aunties. I have a lipstick called Rich Auntie. (laughs) Really? Oh, Oh, you have to share the link to that. I will. I will share with you. But yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Having um, disposable time and income for them is actually quite important. Again, kids need a little extra, especially right now. So I understand that. Yeah, so we love that. Okay, so the next sentence completion is the most embarrassing thing I've ever done to get my crush's attention is. It's like, oh man, (laughs) go to the archives, (laughs) right? And I let's think back, undergrad, high school, you know, grad school, maybe yesterday. I don't know, right? right, Exactly. Uh, Oh, we're not too old for crushes. That's the joy. That's the juiciness of life. What is the most embarrassing thing? I did not know you were going to ask me that one. You had like new questions. (laughs) Surprise! Surprise! What have I done? Mm. Mm. Well, I don't know. Is it? I don't know if it's the most embarrassing. One of the most ridiculous things I did was there. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Okay, anyone gonna say it? So there, it was during the time I was in Brooklyn. I was in New York. I lived in New York for a number of years. And this guy that I had a crush on owned a hair shop, barbershop, hair shop. And um, it was during the time when Haiti, 2011, 2012, when there was a big earthquake and, you know, it was just like devastated. And so... Uh, we they, they were collecting like diapers and sanitary napkins and stuff and putting this big barrel together that they were sending down. And I must have bought like so much stuff and <laughs> I kept bringing it back so I could keep seeing him and bring things to put in so we could send it off. Yeah, Haiti, but yeah. Did he notice? Did he like say like, oh, oh you're here again? Listen, I'm very determined and ambitious, so he became my man. But that, no, that's right. But I. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I was at the time I was just crushed out. That, that is so cute. Diapers. Yeah, that's a cute story. That was fun. I Thank you for sharing that. that with us. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Ooh. so our final sentence completion. Okay. What I love most about myself is. What I love most about myself is that I am a good friend. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. We love it. We love it. What a great way to end the sentence completion segment. And now we're going to move into these photos. So, (laughs) Dr. Wendy, if you can share a number out of one and three, we'll go ahead and pull that photo on the big screen. Number three. I'm so glad you chose this one. It's so good. Okay. So, Dr. Wendy, some people are only tuning into the audio. So, if you can describe the photo first and then give us the context. This is the lovely photo. This is good. Uh-oh. There oh. we go. Oh. 
<laughs> okay. Oh, the so, story behind this one. Huh? Not really, but it is a black and white photo, and it is being taken outdoors. And yeah, I'm wearing a dress that I like. I love that dress. Cute. And what else would I say? Does that feel like enough of a description to the two? I of think you? that's a great description. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what's the other? What are we doing here? Just like some context about the photo. So is uh, what happened before the photo or after? Is, mm-hmm. it, is it a significant day or time in life? Or This was actually like a photo shoot to take photos for my website. And mm-hmm. and I was the photographer. We were outdoors on the campus of Mills College in Oakland in the oh, Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And I used to be the dean of the School of Education there. And so we were taking these photos actually right outside my office, there was this corridor where on one side was a children's school, serves children ages zero to 10 years old. And then on the other side were the classrooms and the administrative offices. And so office space was actually off to the, the left-hand side from my vantage. This is a beautiful photo. It is yeah. so, it's like very powerful. Yeah. And just look at it like, oh, look at this powerful black moment. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. That was so fun. That concludes our OU Blanche okay. segment. Not too bad, right? Not, Not too, too bad. bad. Yeah, that but was you fun. Had me a little nervous. I was like, what photo is like, what? <laughs> I think everyone feels that way. They're like, oh my goodness, what I photo know. did they find online? Yeah. So we're going to jump right back into some of these questions, Dr. Okay. Wendy. And one question we have for you is what advice do you have for? women who've been accused of being the angry Black woman at Mm -hmm. work. And Mm -hmm. what's wrong with that stereotype and how can one combat that or embrace it? All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month. And it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans. And it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black Stories, Black Truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the Rich Black Auntie. It was good. Now, you know, Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, 
They are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. I think actually we think about that song by Solange. We got a lot to be mad about. Like we do have a lot to be mad about. There's a lot going on that's not okay. I don't think that the problem is the anger. I think that the problem is that there's, again, like this, it comes back to me to that, like the stereotypes and the narrow band of possibilities that are offered to us in terms of what we can be. We are all things, but somehow they landed on angry and I would add strong black woman, which and sometimes mm-hmm. people think when you're being strong, you're angry anyway. Yeah. Ultimately, what I would say to women in terms of advice is you actually can't really control how people are going to respond to you, what they're going to think about you. and. Mm-hmm. I think the mistake for us, and I have fallen victim to it too, is to try to control that. Ultimately, I think we do things like curb our voice because we don't want to be seen a certain way. We're so preoccupied with managing it that we are not our actual selves or our true selves. And so there's a lot of blockage there. And particularly Mm -hmm. when we're at work or professional or leadership positions, if you block one, I'm a psychologist. I believe if you block one part of your life, you're blocking others. So mm. when you're not being your full self in every facet and being authentic and true to you, that means that you're not able to access all your creativity. You're not able to act or access all your ingenuity, innovation. You're not able to access your full heart. That means that your partner, your family, your loved ones are going to get limited expressions from you because of There's no way to turn it on and off in that way. It's very labor intensive. Mm. And ultimately, I think about that quote by Toni Morrison, where she says that racism basically serves as a distraction. I think that this is a big old distraction. And I think that it serves to limit our sense of power and authenticity and our just all the things that are so beautiful about us. So that's ultimately what I would say. I would actually urge folks to just figure out ways to be your authentic self in these spaces and the the best way that you can temper it for who you're with and know know their limitations is not your limitation and make sure that you carve out enough other spaces where you can be all of your whole self in case that doesn't happen at work because I do got to be realistic and appreciate that there are limits to this thing but in every other place you have to be your whole self to counter that thing too if in fact you're feeling restricted but sometimes I'll have to say that 
No one's asking us to put on those masks. We just put it on because we think we have to. Hey, girl. Hey, we hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are. But let's be real. It costs money to podcast and we got bills to pay. So enjoy this commercial break as you process what we've been talking about. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you're also supporting us. Protective styles, apple cinnamon candles, family gatherings, terrible BO. Hold up. Let's face it. Summer isn't the only time we get body odor. We can get just as smelly under our favorite fall sweaters. That's why we're excited to tell you all about Lumi Whole Body Deodorant for pits, privates, and beyond. Lumi was created by an OBGYN who discovered and proved in clinical testing that the vagina is not to blame for day-to-day odor below the belt. So, she developed Lumi, a uniquely formulated pH-balanced deodorant. It's aluminum-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. Right now, they have a special offer where new customers get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with our exclusive code and link. Use code HERSPACE at LumiDeodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. Lady, trust us on this. Dom and I use Lumi every day. I personally love the toasted coconut deodorant. I use that on my underarms and it leaves me smelling so fresh. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like the mini body wash and the deodorant wipes. And it comes with free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack with code HERSPACE at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code HERSPACE. Let's get back into it. And so we have to really check ourselves around. Have we internalized Mm anti-Blackness and Mm -hmm. anti-Black feminism and anti-feminist ways of thinking about ourselves where we are shrinking ourselves? And, and maybe question that a bit more and push against that. That was a whole sermon. Yes, that was. Wow. And okay, so the question that immediately came up for me as you were saying that is mm-hmm. for our listeners, and I know that some folks are sitting there and they're like, oh, Dr. Wendy might be talking about me. Mm-hmm. There's a whole read going on, huh? Right? Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> What does that look like? How does that show up if we are in a space where we have internalized anti-Blackness and yeah. we are engaging in the behaviors of what the patriarchy and white supremacy says we should do? How do we know that we're engaging in that? One of the surefire ways to get at that is how you're looking at other Black women and other Black people. Are you feeling embarrassed because of how somebody else is acting? (laughs) Why? What is it about? Do you want them to dress a different way or to act a different way? Why? What is what they're doing got to do with you? Now, I know that there are there is this work where we talk about the relationship that we have with folks in the Black community in terms of the sort of empathy and sort of connection that we have around being members of the same community. And I get that. And that is real. But there's also ways we're acting where we're judging other people. And we feel more licensed to judge other Black folks that we do okay. so in in the presence of those who are not Black. 
to show our affiliation that we're not like that. Oh, and so yeah. I think that mm-hmm. when you're doing like, that's one way to know when you have your own internal reaction or response to other black people and that there's judgment and shame attached to that. Sometimes it's not that though, just sometimes it is your own internal sense of yourself, the the worry that you're not okay, that you're not good enough, the anxiety, the depression, the overwhelm, the exhaustion, all of these things, like all those mm-hmm. reactions, they're big reactions and ultimately they can be quite exhausting. So how and in what ways might you ha- be judging yourself, not feeling good about yourself, not accepting yourself? And what's underneath that? What is it about you that's not okay, really? I, I'm a big fan of therapy. <laughs> I'm not a practicing psychologist, but I have seen a psychologist and I believe in therapy. Folks need to check out talking with someone who can help you through these kinds of things and probe in these ways with these types of questions and reflect back to you what they hear you saying. Because sometimes that loneliness, that feeling that you have, it's not your birthright. You were born with every, every entitlement to joy. And so if you're walking around without that, I say maybe look into getting some help and some support with that and making sure that you have people around you that can support you with that friends, family, and loved ones. And also professional support is that's what it's there for. Mm. (laughs) Just processing. That is good. Yeah. How would you say we can cultivate a culture of empathy in the workplace? That question felt a little hard for me, to be quite honest, because I felt part of, as a leader, I can see, gosh, this is, that would be my job to create the culture of support and create the conditions for that culture. And also, I know that in leadership, that can be quite difficult to do because we have a very punishing and very unforgiving culture. When in the book, what I write about are that I, it's the second half of the colon, the refusal and recovery. And I think that part of what I think about with refusal is that essentially these are, and this is an approach to setting boundaries for yourself to preserve yourself and your, your psychology, your integrity in spaces that might be toxic or harmful. And so when we think about the ways in which we might have to refuse or pull back our energy or quiet quit maybe or let people just be your work friends or whatever it is, these are some of those tactics. I think that ultimately what we're doing there is creating a little bit of space. And I think that when you create space for yourself, I know for myself, when I create space for myself, it creates more generosity for others. When I take care mm-hmm. of myself, then I'm mindful mm-hmm. of the other things that other people need to take mm-hmm. so that they can be taken care of. I'm concerned about them in that way too. If I mm-hmm. say to myself, oh, well, none of us got to eat lunch today. Who are you? Then okay, so there's no care and there's no empathy there. But if I can first cultivate love and empathy and care for me, then it's easier to extend it to others. It's like what they say, put the uh, mask on yourself first and then for others yep. too. I think mm-hmm. it's it's about self-love and self-care that then when you cultivate and generate it, you can give it to other people. You actually can't really, you don't really have much to give others if you haven't really given it to yourself. So I think about it in, in that way, building connection, like connecting to yourself and then building connection and affiliation with others where you actually do give a damn about other people and not be so focused. But we are in a moment where I think it's a little challenging. We've been so self-focused, a little bit of the social media narcissism. It's pervaded a lot of aspects of our <laughs> of who we are. And so there's that. I would say as a leader in workplaces, because I do have that role, create the policies and the conditions that and the practices that will cultivate the conditions. Sometimes folks need a container. And so you need to tell them what to do and tell them what will and won't happen. 
And when you're the boss, that's your job. And that is protective of everybody, including yourself. Thank you for that. And as you were answering several of our questions, what comes up for me is understanding what liberation means, Mm -hmm. right? And so for our listeners, can you define what Black women liberation and liberatory practices look like? What's that really, what does it mean? Yeah. And how does it show up in the workplace? Yeah. So it's one of the reasons why I started my podcast, because I wanted to hear Black women leaders talk about their practice and how they're leading. A lot of times the guests on the podcast are like, well, what do you want me to talk about? I'm like, I want you to tell me how you do what you do. And it comes off and it shows up in a variety of ways in their work. But what I would ultimately say is that these are mindsets and maneuvers that we observe Black women engage. And I would say the full range of diversity of Black women, we are not a monolith and we are not the same. So I don't want to suggest that in any shape, way, or form. But what I do know is that we, because of shared experiences around sexism and racism and classism and just, again, that narrow, limited way in which the society and the world would like to see us, then we have a way of navigating in and around that so we can actually make moves. So whether that's how, gosh, the sister in down in Georgia galvanized the movement for June voters in 2020, 2021. Oh, yeah. yeah, like okay. they just, they okay. did it no matter. they There's a way that they do it. You see it in big ways, but you also see it in small ways. I see it again in my grandmother, who was a leader in our family, and my great-grandmother, who was a leader in our family. And I tell some of the stories of the lessons that we draw from them because it is coming from the elder women in our families of making a way, making it happen. Not seeing the lack of opportunity that the wider world would limit for us, but rather saying, oh, they're not allowing it. But our children, our community, our babies, our families need to have access to this, then that kind of thing and making sure that it happens. So when I talk about Black women's liberatory leadership practices, it's really thinking about the ways in which we move, the mindsets that you have to move and maneuver in and around the limited prescriptions that folks would have around what is accessible or what Black people can have, what Black families can have, because oftentimes not on their own, Black men are there too, but Black women are often navigating and creating that way. So good. Dr. Wendy, you talked a little bit about your book and we talked about it in the beginning as well. Can you tell us something that you learned when you were writing your book? Gosh, your facial expression was like, oh, right. Let me take a sip of water. (laughs) I started writing that book in 2018. I was still living in, I know, I got the book contract in 2018. I was still living in New York. I was doing all sorts of things. Moved to California, took a new job, all the rest. And so it took time to get deep into the book. But also, I think that it was also important for me to have the life experiences that came in the thick of writing that book, we were in the pandemic and I was going through a very difficult work life transition. The job at Mills College where I was, they closed. I don't know. Yeah, they closed and I was right there. Oh, you just moved across the country. My family is here, but wow. Writing that book, I had to dig deep and be really honest. And so like super duper honest. So I know when I'm speaking with you both, it's a lot. It can be a lot, but it's because I've done the work and I have really done the work to be honest about what is happening in those spaces. I 
I had to also in trying to, and it goes back to what we started with in this conversation around making sure that what you're writing and sharing is accessible to people. I needed to put it into plain words, like what is happening and how it feels. Uh, I don't think that we talk about that second part enough, how it feels. Mm. I came up as a little little black girl, a little smart black girl going to college and doing all the things. And no one really acknowledges <laughs> like how hard it is to yeah. have all mm. that potential. And for no reason that you can understand for people not to be supportive of you. You're just a little yeah. girl trying to yeah. do the things that you yeah. were told were the right things to do. And somehow... There's a whole system that's trying not to, like, it's hard to understand. And so as an auntie of four girls, I'm particularly sensitive to that with them and on the ways in which as a family, we pour into them and give them ways of thinking about themselves that are irrespective and independent of the larger world's perspective. Mm -hmm. I think to like how Venus and Serena's father was with them. Like it was their perspective of their game and their performance was independent of who they were performing against or who mm-hmm. they were playing against. And people thought that they were being very vain, but that was just very protective. He understood the assignment of being okay. a black father of, of black girls and black children in this country. And so I would say rounding all that back to name those kinds of things and to be very real means that I have to be real and I have mm-hmm. to be raw for myself in order to deliver it. I know I've accomplished that because of some of the feedback that folks have given me about the book, particularly close friends who I really do trust, uh, who have had their own difficult experiences and the ways they've told me they've responded to my words. I also know I've accomplished it because when you read my words to me, it hurts sometimes. I'm like, oh gosh, because it's honest. And so that's what I've learned more. It's like my own excavation of my own heart in terms of how hard it is and how painful it is to work so hard, to try so hard, and to realize that there really are whole systems that are working against you. And mm. you don't even know who they are. They don't even know who you are. Yeah. And Dr. Wendy, we thank you for writing this book. Oh, thank you. Thank you for digging deep and doing the work mm. and putting it out there so that those of us who might not have the words for ourselves, but know, but feel it in our bodies, what this experience is, what it's like to be a Black woman in the workplace mm-hmm. and to not be seen, to not be heard, or to have our work taken from us or used against us. Thank you so much for writing this book. And I know that our listeners, after listening to this interview and catching all of these gems that you have shared with us today, they're going to want to connect with you. And so can you share with our audience where they can find your book, because they all need to read it, where they can find your book and where they can connect with you and also listen to your podcast? Everything is at drwendywilliams.com. Because <laughs> I think we should make it simple. But I'm also on Instagram and I like to sometimes do what I've done in the book, which is look at some popular examples of things that are happening just in the yep. discourse and link it back to these, some of the concepts that are lifted up in the book so that we understand what we're looking at and why we feel the ways we feel when we see what we see happening in the public space. 
Oh, good. Thank you so much, Dr. Wendy. We appreciate you you and your time and the work that you're doing in the world. And we would love Mm -hmm. to keep in touch with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so appreciative to be here with you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at herspacepodcast.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Every dream within me exists because it's possible. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit